Time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Happy Election Day. Yeah, it's Big E Day. Before we get into that, let me ask you quickly about the issue we focused on at the top of the show, and that was some of the anti-vaccination protests that we saw in some, mm-hmm. a couple of BC schools in the interior. We've got uh, security measures in place in that one school district where some of these protesters actually went into the schools. Uh, do you think there should be that bubble zone? Because there, there's a lot of pressure on the... We keep hearing this now, that the government should bring in like a no-go zone. Well, you were not allowed to protest at a school, at a hospital. Well, we've had one instance uh, or a couple instances in Salmon Arm. If, there's, if this happens again, I think it fuels the argument to have a bubble zone. If it's a one-off incident... Um, do you really need legislation to you know, prevent something that's really not happening very often? But really, it, it, it's amazing the uh, public reaction to this odious behavior is quite something. There's a lot of anger directed towards these people for basically frightening students going into the, the school. Uh, if, if this behavior continues, uh, listen, Mark, talk to Mike Farnworth over the weekend. There will be legislation. The House is sitting in October, and there will be legislation uh, with bubble zones around uh, health facilities and schools if this behavior persists. But, again, we've seen one instance. Well, you know, Matt Westfall from the BC Teachers Federation told me earlier on the show today that it's illegal under the School Act Mm -hmm. to go into a school and disrupt a school. Yeah, you can't So, I mean, there's already against the law. Again, so uh, we've had that instance uh, around a hospital uh, a couple weeks ago. But again, if this behavior persists, there's going to be tougher teeth in legislation. Yeah, and Farnworth is a guy, well, he's always talking tough, isn't he? <laughs> he is. Yeah, <laughs> tough talking Mike Farnworth. He calls them, uh, he minces no words, calls yeah. them COVID idiots, uh, says they're basically uh, out of sync with society. Yeah. And I think he's right. Yeah. Okay, well, we're following that one closely. Election day today, the yes. polls are open. The polls are open until 7 p.m. tonight. And it's going to be interesting to see what the, what the turnout is in this election. But I know you're you're looking at battleground BC, mm-hmm. and when as you watch the returns come in tonight, are there key ridings in British mm-hmm. Columbia you're looking at closely? Yeah, there's 42 ridings in BC. Um, most of them are basically foregone conclusions. Who's of, in terms of who's going to win? I mean, the NDP is going to win Vancouver East. I'll go out on a limb and predict that. You know, uh, the Conservatives will win in Abbotsford. Hetty Fry will win in Vancouver Center for the Liberals. Where again, it, yeah, again for uh, the tenth t- consecutive time. Where it gets more interesting, particularly in Metro Vancouver, is some of the suburban ridings, which may change hands because they were very narrow. Uh, decided contest last time. For instance, Port Moody, uh, Coquitlam, which was won by the Conservatives, Nelly Shin, by 153 votes last time. And that was a genuine three-way fight. All three parties, NDP, Conservatives, and Liberals, all competitive there. Uh, Another one right next door, Coquitlam, Port Coquitlam, uh, won by the Liberals by less than 400 votes. Um, that, That should come into play, potentially. Burnaby North Seymour is another one that uh, the NDP thinks it's got a good shot of taking from the Liberals. Vancouver Granville, which was Jody Wilson um, Raybo's riding. She's, of course, not running. Yeah. So what, who's going to pick that one up? So there's about a half dozen to a dozen ridings that are going to be very interesting to watch tonight and may go down to the wire. What about some of these parties on the fringes? If you look at like Maxime Bernier's, the People's, People's Party running candidates, no one expects that party to, to win a, a seat mm. in the House of Commons. But... You know, could they peel off some votes from the Conservatives, make they're, a difference? They're tracking very well in the polls nationally. Not sure how well they're going to do in B.C., but, you know, some pollsters have got them uh, for the last few weeks at like seven or eight points, eight yeah. percentage points of polls, which is quite significant. So you take a, a riding like Port, Port Moody, Coquitlam. The Conservatives won by less than 200 votes last time. If yeah. the Pe- People's Party is running the candidate in every single riding in B.C., 
If they just take a few hundred votes away from the Conservatives, that could tip the riding over to the NDP or the Liberals. Okay, something to watch for sure. What about the Green Party? They've That's had such another, a bad campaign with the yeah. internal troubles. Yeah, and they're not running candidates in seven ridings. Of more interest is they're not running candidates in five ridings in which their mar- their the number of votes they got last time exceeded the margin of victory for one of the other parties. So, And we're talking thousands of people. We're not talking just you know dozens of people. These are yeah. thousands of people who voted for the Greens in five ridings last time, or in seven ridings last time, will not have a green candidate on the ballot. So who do they vote for? Do they go for, you know, the conventional wisdom is they're more likely to vote NDP, second most likely to vote Liberal, third likely to vote uh, Conservative, but who knows? I mean, this is a big mystery, and that could be a decisive factor in some of these close ridings. Yeah, it's amazing when you you look at the Green Party. I'm surprised that there are so many ridings where they didn't even, they failed to even put up a candidate mm-hmm. in ridings where they've got a lot of support. I mean, British Columbia is kind of ground zero of basis support for this party. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Can they can they hang on to the Nanaimo Lady Smith riding? Paul Manley yeah, won yeah. by more than 2,000 votes last time. The Greens are in disarray. They've got funding problems, morale problems, internal bickering. Um, not really in the situation they wanted to be in as they headed into election. They almost had a coup against their leader. So can Paul Manley hang on in a riding that is usually historically pretty friendly to the NDP? Or do the Conservatives come up through the middle, uh, banking on a split between the NDP and the Greens? That's another one to watch tonight. Okay, I wonder what the turnout's going to be like in this election. I suspect that we're looking at probably maybe a low turnout overall in this campaign, just like in the last provincial pandemic election that we had. Yeah, there seems to be tepid interest in this thing, and a lot of people think it's just going to be the status quo result. Nothing really changes, which, again... If that's the case, that won't cause a surge of people to the polls. It'll probably be a lower turnout. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry from Global News. Phone lines are open 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Brian and Coquitlam, hi. Hey, so as I was saying to uh, your guy that takes the calls, the bubble zone I'm for, but at the end of the day, it requires enforcement. And we've seen time and time again the police are not interested in enforcing a lot of these protests rules and stuff like that. Uh, unless they actually enforce the, any new rules, it's not going to make a difference. And there's already rules now and laws that, that could have been applied to these situations. They could have been charged, they could have been lots of things, and that didn't happen. So I don't see what new rules and bubble zones are really going to do at the end of the day. Well, the police did show up in Salmon Arm. Um, and also, we've had on the books since 1995 a bubble zone around abortion clinics. Uh, and, and there's, that ceased to be an issue after, after a few months. And so again, nobody's defined that. But again, we'll see if, the, if this behavior continues. If we continue to see the tiny minority of anti-vaxxers aggressively pick on healthcare workers or teachers or students or try to violate the existing rules in terms of not entering these facilities, then you will see legislation. And uh, there's a, still an investigation going on, is my understanding, yeah. of, of what happened after this, this uh, incident. And the police were on the scene. Uh, this happened at, a, I guess, three schools. I mean, that's kind of tough for the cops. If you just walk into a school and just run through the halls or whatever it was they were doing, I mean, you know, I don't know how long they were in the schools, but the police can't respond to every single little thing like that immediately. And I think they're probably doing the best that they can. Mm-hmm. And whether they bring in a bubble zone, like, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessary to ne- to overreact to something like this. Like, if it continues to be a problem, if it happens again, okay, well, then, then I pretty... think there's more pressure on government to do something. 
Yes, these people are pretty persistent. I've been at the ledge on the weekend, both days. There was, you know, this knot of protesters in the front lawn of the legislature, which is where protests should occur. Well, that's, right. That's the front lawn. But listen to these people in the loudspeakers. We're talking QAnon people. This wasn't. This was beyond just anti-vaccine. This was really wild conspiracy theories that this is somehow a giant plot to take over. Well, that's your body. what was going on in Salmon Arm. Like yeah. that's what they were saying on their Facebook live stream. Because everything's live streamed on Facebook, and a lot of it was just really wacko Lunatic stuff. Lunatic fringe. Okay, Rhonda in Aldergrove. Hi. Yeah. Hey, I just want to say that it's a sad day in Canadian politics when the most exciting part of my voting experience was seeing that my kid's elementary school gym was painted really cool now. Like, there is nothing to be excited about in this election. It was cold at the wrong time, but the school gym looks really cool. Okay. Okay. voter in Aldergrove, get out to Betty Gilbert. It's worth the view. That's great. Well, were there any lineups at the, to vote? I voted on uh, the early po- on the early poll, okay. um, and there weren't any. Um, but the disappointing part was, I couldn't take any photos of the school gym because it was election day. Yeah, right. That's right. But you're not allowed to yeah. take f- pictures in there. No. Um, no. Thank you. So. Thank you for the call. I suspect that we're looking at a low turnout, but that may be Trudeau's plan in calling this thing all along. Like, I think Horgan, when he called a snap election in a pandemic, probably realized it would be a low turnout, mm-hmm. and that wouldn't be a bad thing for him in the NDP, and he was right. Tends to favor incumbents, uh, but at some point, perhaps an incumbent government uh, will lose. But right now, the, the track record for incumbents is pretty well perfect. Dave and Burnaby. Hi, Dave. Hi there. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. While I, uh, I disagree with the, uh, the COVID anti-vaxxers, I, I think people should get vaccinated I understand their frustration in that uh, infant act uh, where you let 12-year-olds make their own medical decisions. I mean, that's ridiculous, and I think it probably caught them by surprise, and it probably caught most people by surprise that the age of majority in B.C. is 12 years old. Um, Obviously, that has to be changed, and um, accessing the children in the school and pressuring them behind the the the, uh, parents' backs I could see why that would upset people. Oh, and, what, do you, uh, what do you mean? What do you think? Probably, what makes they, you say they're being pressured? Well, they put the uh, the clinics in there, and then yeah. um, I guess they're accessing the children behind the parents' backs. I suppose, well, they're, they're not. Um, they're not being. They're not being pressured. Age, You're not required. Hang on. Hang on. A, hang on a second. These kids are not required to get vaccinated at these clinics. Okay. Yeah, and and by the way. The, the Infants Act in British Columbia, and you're saying, oh, I'm shocked to find out a 12-year-old kid can take a vaccine without their parents. Been on the parents. For a... That's been around for a long time. That's been the law in British Columbia for many years. And we've had vaccine clinics in schools forever. Well, well yeah, we've had vaccine school. I remember I was a kid that you, you yeah, got vaccinated at school. school. It's, it's nothing new. And by the way, I, the way this system works, by the way, is if you've got a kid and they show up at one of these vaccine clinics, the health care provider is required to uh, do an assessment of this kid. Is this kid mature? Does this kid understand what the vaccine, does the kid understand what the vaccine is? Are there any risks of the vaccine? And make an assessment. Does this kid, is this this child mature enough to to take this vaccine? That's the way the system works. And by the way, the president of the BC Trustees Association said something to me earlier on the show. If you're a parent and you don't want your child to get vaccinated at this clinic, at the school, maybe don't send your kid to school that day. Exactly. Okay? That's that's one way to uh, avoid the problem, if you think it's a problem. Doug in Surrey, hi. Hi, Mike and Keith. Um, the Surrey North, uh, the chap that represents us, Randeep Surrey, is an okay, okay guy. But I was just wondering if this is one of those uh, 
writings that could possibly flip back to the NDP. There's a couple of, uh, well, there's one guy in particular at his constituency office. I try to be reasonable when I phone him up. I know they got lots on their plate. And uh, when I phoned up about a couple of things, I got this one chap. I don't know if he's boss of the uh, the writing uh, uh, constituency office, but he has an attitude. He seems to think he's king of the world. (laughs) And I thought, rather than argue with you, I'm just going to hang up. And so I did. Okay. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting. You go back to the last provincial election, and you look at the NDP support, which was quite strong in the suburbs of Vancouver. It's getting stronger and stronger. Does that translate into electoral success at the federal level? I mean, the NDP was really strong support in the Tri-Cities. They don't have a riding in the Tri-Cities, but they're very competitive there. Does that provincial support transfer to the federal level? And that includes Surrey as well. The NDP did very well in Surrey at the provincial level. Will they do as well? Federally, the Liberals are stronger there. We'll see tonight. Okay, and the NDP have done well in British Columbia, too. So 604-280-9898 is the number to call. 604-280-9898, star 9898, toll free on your cell. Dennis in Surrey, hi. Uh, Good morning, guys. Um, These anti-vaxxers are making it so that we can't, the vaccinated people can't have a normal life. So what I would say is that the provincial government, federal government, whoever, get on the get on there and say, you know how much it costs every day to have somebody in hospital because they're not vaccinated? So why don't they make them pay for it? So that come out and say, you know what, you don't want to be vaccinated? Fine, that's great. But well, you're you paying start, for it. You start extending this down the line. So uh, heavy smokers, right? They go into hospital. Uh, with cancer, they're costing the, the taxpayer money because of uh, self-induced acts of which they've been warned against. Don't don't smoke. Uh, How about if you get a head injury and you're not wearing a, a bicycle helmet? Or you, know, you charge them do, too? Do you stop treating drunk drivers who get hurt in accidents? Yeah. So no, that's that's just not going to happen in our healthcare. Yeah. How about you're someone get treated no matter what? How about someone breaks their leg skiing? You make them pay for it because they're it, going in a risky sport. Where it's going to get interesting right. though in the United States, where they don't have public health care, there are going to be people who won't get treatment. They're actually triaging people in some in some American states. We may see this in Alberta where unvaccinated people go to the end of the queue. And you know what? Our healthcare workers, they don't judge, okay? Like, I spoke to a a doctor from Lionsgate Hospital on the show last week who said, you know, they're frustrated by the number of unvaccinated people that are in their COVID ward, but when they come in, they get the best treatment in the world. Okay, as As they they should. Absolutely. Rita in Vancouver, hi. Hi. Hi, Hi, Mike. Um, You're talking pretty strongly about kids not being required with the uh, clinics in the schools. My recollection, and that's quite a long time ago with my kids, was that you always knew ahead of time that there was a vaccine clinic coming and there would be permission forms. Like It wasn't just that kids could walk up and get vaccinated. There was some kind of protocol involved, and I think that would be the right way to do it. And okay, I th- think th- that's th- still the way. Thank you for that. 30 seconds. I, I mean, I, we're seeing clinics starting to show up in schools. My understanding is parents are being informed that they're happening. Right. The, uh, the president of the School Trustees Association told me this morning that there is communication with the parents. If there is a clinic at the schools, mm-hmm. the parents are made aware of it. They're okay? being told. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Keith, thank you. All right. Talk tomorrow. All right. That's Keith Baldry, and that is Baldry's Beach.